You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, season two, episode eight, Nirvana and the Beatles. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And this is where usually my friend and co-host Yaditya comes in and introduces herself, but not today, because, uh, well, in, on this episode of the podcast, things are a little bit different, and the reason for that has everything to do with today's topic, which is Nirvana and the Beatles. Now, people who have listened to our show before probably know that I'm a big Beatles fan. I've referenced uh, them uh, left and right throughout the entire series, so... Yaditya, I guess she likes the Beatles, but she's not really into them. She felt that she didn't have that much to say about it. That's why we've decided that uh, I'm going to do this episode all by myself, which is a completely unique experience for me. I've never done a solo podcast uh, before, so it's a bit of an experiment. Although I must say, uh, it's not the first time that I'm doing a podcast about the Beatles, because uh, last year I was a guest on the Fab Forecast, which is an awesome Beatles podcast, really nerding out on everything Beatles. I think there are over 150 episodes by now, and it was really cool to be on that show and talk about Nirvana and the Beatles. Uh, The thing is that podcast was in Dutch. I know that most people who are listening to our show don't speak Dutch, so they can't, uh, can't listen to that. Well, they can listen to it, but they can't understand it. Actually, we got an email from a guy called Tristan from Australia, who emailed us uh, quite a while back. Um, (laughs) uh, He said some nice things about the podcast. And he also said, uh, I'm a big Beatles fan as well and uh, and considering learning Dutch to listen to Fab Forecast episode. So Tristan, if you're listening, and I'm guessing you are, you can can drop your Dutch course uh, because I'm going to more or less repeat what I told there. I dug up some new stuff. Uh, I'm probably going to repeat some of the things that I've said previous uh, episodes about the Beatles uh, in relationship to uh, to Nirvana. But uh, anyway, let's get the thing started. I think the connection between Nirvana and the Beatles is pretty obvious. It's pretty well uh, documented. But of course, you don't have to take my word for it. Just uh, listen to what Kurt Cobain has to say about it himself. I've always loved the Beatles and stuff like that too, you know. Especially the Beatles. A lot of the other like rip-off bands of the Beatles, like the Hollies and Herman's Hermits, don't really count. I've never gotten into that, but I like that old 60s pop kind of sound. So there you have it. That's your proof. Kurt grew up listening to the music of the Beatles. Uh, I think his parents weren't that much into music, but um, he had some relatives that were, especially Aunt Mary. Uh, we've talked about her Ages ago on one of our very first uh, uh, podcast episodes, she made music herself and she was really nice to him and she um, encouraged him to make music and do creative stuff. And also she had a nice record collection with at at least uh, three Beatles albums. So that's, that's pretty cool. And a very unique thing about Aunt Mary is that she also recorded Kurt a couple of times. Young Kurt, I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's about, I don't know maybe five or six years old or something like that. Um, And he already sang Beatles tunes by the time. I think in an interview he talked about how he sang the Beatles song Revolution, but he also sang this one.
Yeah, that was uh, Kurt and uh, his aunt singing uh, Hey Jude. Now I'm guessing that everybody knows this, knows this song, but just, you know, to get into the Beatles mood, let's have a listen to uh, a little bit of the original. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that everybody knows uh, this song. But uh, hey, uh, we're doing a Beatles-themed podcast, so we have to listen to a lot of Beatles songs. And uh, like I said, I'm a big fan, so uh, I just want to sprinkle them throughout this uh, this episode, uh, especially when it's um, relevant to uh, Kurt and Nirvana uh, and their music and their artwork. Um, an interesting anecdote that I've read just the other day, I'm reading a book called uh, Nirvana frequently asked questions um, that I've I've just picked up and I read something in there that uh, and I don't know if this has been confirmed or not I didn't come across this story anywhere else uh, this far but the book says that uh, one day uh, Kurt was checking out Aunt Mary's record collection and he found the album called uh, The Beatles Yesterday and Today um, which is not really like an official album uh, back in the 60s for the American market, um, they made like special albums. They kind of slaughtered the Beatles albums and just took some songs uh, from different albums or from singles and put them on an, an album, make a new uh, cover, new title, and then released on the American market. So if you don't know um, the Beatles yesterday and today, that's that's totally logical. The remarkable thing about that album is its cover or let's say the first uh, version of the cover, because it shows the Beatles in like white butcher's clothes. They hold uh, beheaded uh, baby dolls and also some slaps of meat. So it looks kind of, well, not really scary. It's too dorky to be scary, but probably, and that's what the story in the book says, Kurt as a young child was really afraid of it. And he thought it was really weird because he liked the Beatles. And then they were standing there with decapitated dolls and a little bit of blood on their shirts so that was kind of kind of scary for him it caused a bit of a controversy also that cover because the Beatles themselves they said that it was like a a protest against the war in Vietnam and well you can see how uh, a lot of American consumers didn't really like that and so it was pulled and then I think there was another version of the album released anyway If this story is in fact true, then I think it's very interesting because Kurt later, as a visual artist, he worked with dolls. He made uh, uh, dolls of clay in his oven and stuff like that. Um, He also uh, used pictures of meat and made collages of those. I think you can see one uh, at the back of the Nevermind album. So maybe, and I can't be sure about this, maybe uh, that visual image of the Beatles has influenced Kurt in his later life. And uh, I like to think that that's the fact. Dolls and meat even show up in some of his songs. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Milk It. Uh, There's some references uh, 
to that as well. So, uh, yeah, perhaps the Beatles' influence wasn't just musical, but also had something to do with his other uh, artwork. But that's not a fact, that's just uh, speculation. Uh, what we do know is that Kurt really thought that the Beatles were his idols. Uh, let's have a listen to what he said about that. Probably the first band that I was really into was the Beatles, and then all that Top 40 radio. And then after that, um, when I was about fourth grade, I was living with my father in Montesano. And one of his friends, he was a bachelor. He was a, a fresh, you know, he'd just recently gotten divorced and he was a bachelor. So one of his bachelor friends told him to um, get a get a, get one of those uh, subscriptions. And he didn't even open them up. He didn't even open up half the records that came. And they were just sitting there, you know, in the plastic steel. And one day I opened them all up and there was some great music, you know. Finally, I got to hear Black Sabbath, you know, the harder stuff that they wouldn't have played in Aberdeen or on the radio in Montesano or Aberdeen. You know, so I, I was just like, you know, instantly a rock and roll fan, you know, a harder rock and roll fan. But at a really early age, I wanted to be a rock and roll star. I wanted to play drums, you know, ever since I got my first Beatles record, I wanted to play drums in a band. I wanted to have the adoration of, of John Lennon, but have the anonymity of, of Ringo Starr, you know? I didn't want to be a front man. I just wanted to be back there, but, you know, be a rock and roll star at the same time. Kurt famously hated, uh, or at least he said that he hated Paul McCartney. Um, he said in an interview with the Dutch magazine how he really w loved the Beatles, but he hated uh, Paul McCartney and that he wanted to kill him. And then he described how he... Uh, <laughs> he in, in detail, he described how he wanted to kill Paul McCartney, like choking him, strangling him with his the strings of his bass guitar or something like that. Probably just trying to be tough. But uh, yeah, he said on several occasions that he loved the Beatles, did not like Paul McCartney. And I think he was most mostly drawn to uh, John Lennon. But he also admitted that he didn't really know what parts of the Beatles songs were written by Paul McCartney and what parts were written by John Lennon. Because in the beginning of the Beatles, uh, pretty much every song was credited to the both of them. Even if just one of them wrote pretty much all of the song, it was just stamped Lennon-McCartney and that, that was it. Uh, it was only later in their uh, career that the songs were credited a bit more correctly. So yeah, then we... It becomes a bit more clear what was a Lennon song and what was a McCartney song. Um, and I can totally see why Kurt was drawn to Lennon more. Probably because of the weird stuff that Lennon did. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was like the the rebel, the hippie, the most experimental as well. And Paul McCartney was more like the musical mastermind, very, very talented guy, of course, but also a bit of a, a straight cut boy, like a... I mean, that's not really the case always, but uh, that's at least what his image was. So anyway, I want to skip ahead a few years and check out some of Kurt's really, really early work before he had a decent band and anything. Um, he liked to make uh, collages, or sounds, soundscapes, you could say, by just taping stuff together and, and mixing stuff up and cutting it and playing around with the speed of the tape. Uh, I think the most famous example of that is a Montage of Hack. Now, I'm sure everybody knows Montage of Hack is the title of a Kurt Cobain documentary that came out a couple of years ago, but it's also the title of uh, one of his collages and there's been several versions of it. One of it is really long, so it goes on for almost like half an hour and I absolutely don't 
recommend um, to listen to that a lot. Uh, but the interesting thing is that he worked three Beatles songs in there. So let's have a listen to that. Here's the first one. Yeah, okay, I think that's 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 about enough. I can totally understand if somebody's saying what 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 Beatles in there? It's about that part of like an orchestral build-up and Kurt took that from the song uh, A Day in the Life from the Beatles 1997 album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Let's have a listen to how it sounds in the original Beatles album and where Kurt took it from. Here it comes. That's the snippet that Kurt uh, worked into his uh, into his collage. Interesting about this song is also that it's Lennon McCartney's song, but in this case, they both had like parts of a song and they just put them together and made one song out of it. So it has really uh, distinctive different parts. And the parts that John Lennon wrote, it starts with, um, I read the news today and he tells about things that are in actually in the newspaper of that day so he just took it from the from the paper his inspiration and that's kind of what Kurt did when he wrote uh, first when he wrote uh, paper cuts which was based on a true story of a couple of neglected children that Kurt read about in a newspaper and also uh, the story of Polly that Kurt also took from from a newspaper so I mean that's not like a unique thing that John Lennon did but you know it could have been an inspiration for Kurt well if you want to find a topic to write about just open up a newspaper and maybe you'll uh, you'll find something we're going to keep on moving through the montage of Hack collage and uh, check out the second Beatles part that's in there Yeah, so that was it. Again, I can imagine if people who aren't that familiar with the Beatles uh, catalog think, I I didn't hear, I want to hold your hand in there, what are you talking about? It's that little piece of circus music, or at least that's what the Beatles were going for. It's taken from a song called uh, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite from the same Sgt. Pepper album. So uh, that's obviously a album that Kurt owned at that time because he took two of these pieces uh, from there. 
or he had it on a cassette, I don't know. But um, here's uh, how it sounds in the Beatles record. And again, this is a John Lennon song, by the way. And in this case, uh, John Lennon's inspiration was a, a, a poster he had. I think it was like an old poster for some sort of a show. And he uh, took most of the imagery and the lyrics uh, just from that from the poster on as well. I don't think Kurt uh, ever did something uh, like that. But we're going to go to the third and final piece of Beatles music that uh, can be heard in Montage of Heck. This is after 19 minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah, I know that that's just a really, 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 really short part. It must have taken Kurt a really long time to make like half an hour of this <laughs> short pieces of music and voices and uh, and whatever. But um, yeah, that's uh, so, uh, that was taken from a song called Taxman. And I hope you... Let, let's, let's check it out again so you'll remember it because it'll come back later. Pay attention. Yeah, that was it. So uh, we'll we'll get back to that later. But first, I want to focus a bit on the fact that Kurt was making sound collages, uh, because that's also something that John Lennon famously did on the Beatles' White album. There's a, well, you can't call it a song. There's a a piece. Let's call it a piece called Revolution Number no. Nine, and uh, here's what that sounds like. Yeah, and this piece is, uh, goes on uh, for more than nine minutes. Um, it's a bit of a love it or hate it kind of situation. And I think most people pretty much hate it and skip it every time they listen to the album. But it also was like a groundbreaking thing to do. I mean, it was really experimental and new, especially for a, for a pop group to put something like that on their album. And I can totally imagine that that inspired Kurt to also make sound collages like that. Like this, um, of course, uh, John Lennon could do it in the studio and use tape loops and all sort of uh, professional stuff. And Kurt had to do it um, in his own room and uh, with just his own very basic uh, stereo uh, equipment, uh, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I do. I do think that it's really uh, it's really interesting that Kurt more or less uh, followed um, John Lennon's uh, lead there. But, of course, uh, the Beatles weren't his only inspiration. Uh, there were a lot of other bands that really inspired him, especially hardcore punk rock bands. And uh, here's what he said about that himself uh, in an interview at the Reading Festival in 1991. What, um, what were you listening to growing up? What do you think was most responsible for the way you sound? Or was it even music? Was it? Well, first it was the Beatles, and then it was punk rock. That's about it. Yeah, so first it was the Beatles, then it was punk rock. And later when he did get the band together and, and, and landed a record deal and uh, was um, writing uh, his very first album, I'm pretty sure that everybody here knows the 
album Bleach and what it sounds like. It's mostly really heavy, grungy rock music, really dark and gritty, except for the first single, Love Buzz, I think, which was a cover from the Shocking Blue, a 60s uh, band from the Netherlands. Uh, But also, very notably, and a very famous example of Kurt's Beatle influences was the song about a girl. So let's have a listen to that first and then maybe see if we can really pin down that uh, Beatles influence there. Kurt famously said that he wrote that song after listening a couple of times or some in some version of the story for hours and hours to um, the album called Meet the Beatles. So I checked out Meet the Beatles and I thought, well, where can you actually hear that? And I landed on uh, on this song. It's not, it's absolutely not the same, but it does have a sort of a resemblance. It starts with just two chords strummed on a guitar and it are actually the same chords as the main part of uh, about a girl uh, which is um, e to g only the beatles play g to e anyway let's see if you can hear it you know you made me cry i see no use in wondering why yeah so yeah you, know, you can kind of hear where the beatles come in and and what kurt took from that i think he really studied the the chord progression and really analyzed what they were doing i think kurt was a lot better at that and a lot more sophisticated in his songwriting than a lot of people think he was and then he made out to be an interview saying like oh i don't really know what i'm doing and uh, I don't know the name of half of the chords and I'm playing and it may be right, but he had a really good ear for it and he was really smart. So I'm I'm convinced that he actually, yeah, had a pretty good sense of what he was doing and, and where he took it from and how it worked and why it worked. And I think that also enabled him to really develop as a songwriter. Anyway, uh, I found <laughs> on the internet, again, you can find most weird and interesting stuff on the internet nowadays. Uh, sometimes it's a horrible thing and sometimes it's like a gold mine because i found an interesting uh mashup between about a girl and a beatles song not uh the beatles song you just heard uh, which is called not a second time uh, but another one a bit more famous called day tripper so here's what it sounds like if you combine the two tracks Yes, pretty nicely done. I must admit that a bit further on uh, in the song, it goes off the rails a bit and you can very clearly hear that the guy who made this, or girl who made this, um, had to change the pitch of Kurt's voice. So I had to do some sort of trickery to make it to make it fit. But uh, yeah, it was too well done uh, for me not to, uh, to share it with you guys. So Kurt made his first album 
he put one more or less beatly song on there, uh, but he also already knew what kind of direction he wanted to go in. And I think he wanted to uh, leave the whole heavy guitar riff based songwriting a bit more behind him and make more songs with a, a, a pop music structure and more melody in it. So yeah, I think uh, he wanted to uh, to crank up uh, the Beatles influence a bit and, and you know, just just tweak his songwriting a bit. And I have two pieces of evidence for that. Uh, let's have a listen to uh, Exhibit A. I mean, I remember years ago, like asking Eric Schillinger, how how successful do you think a band could be like if they if they mixed really heavy Black Sabbath with the Beatles, you know? I mean, what, what would you be able to do with that? I mean, I want to be able to do all different kinds of music. I want to be kind of like Led Zeppelin in a way, but be total extreme punk rock and then do real wimpy pop songs. And, and it just doesn't seem like it would work because no one would be able to tell that you were the same band. And at that point, I knew that we didn't really have a unique sound. I didn't think that we were really original enough. I asked a lot of people about this, and I was always toying with the idea. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty revealing quote. Before he uh, made Nevermind, uh, he was writing new material, of course, because otherwise he wouldn't have anything to record. There's one song that we have talked on the podcast before, uh, and it's not on Nevermind, but he did write it in the same period. There's only one recording of it, just Kurt Solo on the the radio, and that's a a song called Opinion. Um, So, but... And we have talked about that quite recently on the podcast, but uh, it's been a while since we listened to what Kurt said after he finished uh, the song. So uh, I want to focus on that just a little bit. Don't you think that song sounds like Taxman? Nothing sounds like Taxman after I heard the jam doing a start. You ever heard that song? Uh, sounds exactly like Taxman. So, I mean, you couldn't even come close to sounding like Taxman like the jam. Oh. Like well, you know, there's a song called Mr. Cigarette Man by Herman's Hermits. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, so um, he thought himself that the song sounded like Taxman. Taxman is a song by, yes, there they are again, the Beatles. Uh, and that's also the song that you just heard a snippet from uh, in the uh, montage of Hack. Uh, remember when I ask you to uh, to remember it? Well, here it is again, and this is what it sounds like when the Beatles play it. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Cause I'm the tax man. And I must admit, I'm really happy that Kurt uh, referenced this song and used it in his uh, collage because this is a song written by George Harrison, also a guitar player and singer of the Beatles. But, you know, he's kind of always in the shadows of Lennon and McCartney. But he is my personal favorite Beatle. So uh, I'm really happy that uh, he's in here as well because, yeah, you know, I want to promote my favorite Beatle uh, (laughs) a little bit. So if the Beatles were such a big influence on Nirvana and their songwriting, uh, perhaps you're wondering, did they ever cover a Beatles song? 
Uh, my answer would be not really. They did two things. Uh, one was a solo recording by Kurt. I'll come back to that at the end of this podcast. And the other thing is that Chris sometimes like to spontaneously burst out in a Beatles song in between songs. Um, here's a couple of examples for that. On the, on the first one, he tries to uh, bring back the piece after there was a an incident between the bouncer and a friend of the band, I think. And uh, Chris thought, well, let's uh, calm everybody down by uh, singing a peaceful Beatles song. Yeah, I'm not exactly uh, sure if that uh, <laughs> if that worked out. Yeah, and that second song you heard Chris, well, let's call it singing, um, was uh, If I Fell, not their best known song. So yeah, it's obvious that Chris knows a lot about the Beatles as well, because he can go on with the song for uh, for quite a while. Here's another example of uh, Chris uh, entertaining the crowd with uh, Beatles material. Here's his rendition of uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh yeah, I tell you something, I think you'll understand. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Again, these aren't really serious covers, of course. It's just like Chris having fun uh, with uh, with the songs. But I mean, hey, if on the spot he comes up with a Beatles song, it says something about those songs being in his mind, on top of his mind. Uh, so uh, yeah, I thought it was fun uh, to share that with you guys. One last quote-unquote Beatles cover. Here's Nirvana doing I Feel Fine. That song was played uh, in October 1991 during a semi-acoustic 
a show in a record store, uh, which they did to promote uh, Nevermind. Uh, and I think during the making of Nevermind, the Beatles were also a big influence. Um, here's Butch Vig, their producer, uh, telling us a bit uh, more about that. Kurt did a double track. And again, he didn't like doing double tracks, so I had to use the John Lennon reference. And every, every time he resisted, I said, John Lennon did it. So he'd go, okay. As one who likes all our pretty songs, so that's Kurt doubled. Of course, that sounded good, but then we thought, well, if we get to double Kurt, we might as well double Dave, too. So then we went in. Now, another possible Beatles influence in the studio when Nirvana was making Nevermind is the fact that they added the secret track to it. About 10 minutes after uh, something in the way, there's this uh, noise uh, track, Endless Nameless. Um, I'm not 100% sure that Nirvana invented the secret song, but I'm really sure that, that they made it popular. And it's pretty similar to something that the Beatles first did. Of course, the Beatles uh, released their music on vinyl, not on CD. So they didn't have the option to have like a 10-minute silence in between. But they were playing around with the medium a bit. They had ideas for having like a high-pitched tone after the last song that dogs would react to, weird ideas like that that never uh, were actually used. But they did add a little something after uh, the last track of uh, the Sgt. Pepper's album, the one that I, uh, I mentioned before and that yeah, Kurt knew for sure. Uh, after the last uh, track, A Day in the Life, um, you hear a couple of seconds of silence and then you hear this. Not exactly sure why they did it. I think they were just messing with their listeners. But it absolutely could have uh, sparked the idea with, with Kurt to put on a, a secret track. Another very notable Beatles influence uh, from the Nevermind era is the video that Nirvana made for the In Bloom single in which they have like a sort of a mockery or tribute, however you want to take it, of um, the Beatles' performance at the Ed Sullivan Show in the 60s, which was like their big breakthrough moment uh, in the United States. Of course, a lot of bands from those days did performances in uh, shows like that, so it's not one-on-one -on -one about the Beatles, but I'm sure that they had the Beatles in mind when they came up with the idea and uh, and they did it. It's a, it's a very funny video, by the way, so if you don't know it or haven't seen it in a while, go check it out. Now, I've already mentioned that Chris also was really into the Beatles. I think his favorite album was Rubber Soul. Could also be a revolver. I think it was Rubber Soul. Um, and he also said that, uh, for uh, especially for Nevermind, he tried to make his bass lines a bit like Paul McCartney did his bass lines for the Beatles, especially for uh, Lithium. He tried to make a McCartney-esque bass line. So um, we're going to listen to that. Now, I made a special mix highlighting uh, Chris's uh, bass line, sometimes isolating Chris's uh, bass line. Now, I couldn't find the isolated tracks for the studio version of Lithium, so that's why I used a demo version. So it sounds yeah, a bit off sometimes, especially Kurt's vocals are really low in the mix and uh, not uh, up to par, but uh, 
But hey, it's all about the bass. So that's Chris trying to make a, a Beatlesque uh, bassline, and uh, I don't know if it's really something that Paul McCartney did, but I do know that it's a really, really cool uh, bassline. And of course, uh, when Nevermind got released, Nirvana caught the attention of pretty much the entire world, uh, and also um, the music was. Um, played in uh, the house of Paul McCartney, or at least his daughter really liked it. Uh, I think Paul himself has said some nice uh, things about it, uh, about it too. Uh, but uh, here's uh, his daughter, Stella McCartney, talking about, uh, well, just listen about it. You know, it's just music is a massive part of my life. It's been there from day one. Then it's, it's continued to be there in, in a different way. The first song I chose is by Nirvana, Teen Spirit. And I think it's interesting for me. I wanted to be a fashion designer from such an early age. And I was observing fashion through my parents' wardrobe, which was obviously sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, very um, flamboyant in some places. And then I, I left home and I became a fashion designer. I went to college and, and I would always refer to musical moments and I still do. So for me, the punk rock movement, for example, in Great Britain was such a massive part of fashion. And out of that came so many great designers. And I think for me, this moment was my equivalent to see, you know, grunge and to see what was happening in America at that time and being a student in St. Martin's in the 90s. It was the first moment that we had a musical movement that was creating also a fashion movement. And, you know, I'm half American, so for me this is, is a song that I really kind of, the grid of it, and it's just, it's a powerful song and a powerful moment in music and fashion, I think. I don't know much about uh, fashion myself, I must, uh, I must admit, but it's really cool to hear that Stella McCartney really got... Uh, influenced by Nirvana and the whole grunge movement. Uh, Dave Grohl was also a very big Beatles fan and he became part of the Backbeat band. Uh, Backbeat was a movie about the uh, early years of the Beatles. The soundtrack was made by more or less a grunge all-star band calling themselves the Backbeat band, playing those 
old um, rock and roll songs that uh, the Beatles played uh, as well. So uh, let's have uh, just just a snippet to Dave playing uh, with the, the backbeat band. Drumming, of course. I think it goes to show that Kurt wasn't the only one from that um, Seattle scene, grunge movement, a thing that happened um, that also really liked the Beatles and weren't afraid to admit it or anything like that. So uh, um, another band that liked the Beatles uh, is the Breeders. And they did a um, Beatles cover song on their album Pod, which was one of Kurt's favorite albums that made him want to work with Steve Albini for their next album as a producer. So um, the Breeders played uh, a pretty complex Beatles song called Happiness is a Warm Gun. Once again, it's a John Lennon song. And here's the Breeders version. Yeah, let's also check out the Beatles. Mother Superior jumped the gun. Mother Superior jumped the gun. Happiness is a warm gun. Happiness is a warm gun, mama. When I hold you in my Yeah, like I said, it's a pretty, it's a really cool song, but it's also a bit of a strange uh, song about by the Beatles. Uh, it's really complex. It has many different parts. Uh, the rhythm is really, is really weird, and it sort of uh, shows the development that the Beatles made. And hey, there's somebody else who noticed that. And guess who it is? It's Mr. Kurt Cobain. Um, I don't want to turn into a prog rock band literally but i want to i want to do something different really different you know and i want to have enough guts to do that and, I, and if it alienates people that's too bad you know but 
you know, the Beatles went from, not to compare us to the Beatles, but the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and bands like that went from, you know, I want to hold your hand to Sgt. Pepper's, you know. That was a massive progression, you know. And I just want to experiment. Even uh, towards the end of his career and the end of his life, um, Kurt was uh, still, yeah, seeing the Beatles as his as an example. But I think Kurt was setting the bar really high because the Beatles, like halfway through their career, stopped playing live. It just wasn't fun for them anymore because they had a lot of young girls screaming so loud that they couldn't even hear the music themselves. And they thought, well, what's the point? So they decided to uh, stop performing as a live band and just focus on their studio work. So they had a lot of time and could spend all their energy on experimenting with studio equipment, different instruments, orchestras, uh, playing tape loops backwards and, and and stuff like that and uh, yeah I think Kurt really liked that but maybe he should have you know decided when he didn't want to go on tour anymore that just like the Beatles I just want to focus on working in the studio now maybe just do a couple of shows if I feel like it but that's about it but uh, I think he never felt uh, the freedom to actually make that decision which is a shame I've already talked about how Kurt liked John Lennon the most and kind of hated uh, 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 Paul McCartney. And when he became famous, he also was compared to John Lennon. And yeah, I think he was aware of that as well. Um, that this one time when Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love were performing together, I think Courtney introduced Kurt as uh, my husband, Yoko. So they knew they were like the John and Yoko of their generation. Uh, and I can see why. I mean, there were a lot of similarities between Kurt and John. They both came from like a, a, a broken home. Uh, John Lennon was raised by his aunt. Um, Kurt was well, he was raised by his parents. But when they split up, he went back and forth between the two of them, uh, staying with friends, staying with other relatives and, uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, they uh, both uh, developed a heroin uh, habit uh, they both got a very controversial um, wife they were both uh, seen like a uh, like the spokesperson of their generation and, and and stuff like that so yeah there were a lot of uh, similarities and uh, yeah unfortunately one of the similarities is also that both of their lives got uh, cut short John Lennon I think he was 40 when he got uh, got shot which makes me think by the way i know that i've read that kurt was pretty heartbroken as a kid that when he found out that the beatles weren't together anymore the beatles broke up in 1970 so when kurt <laughs> was into them they stopped being a band um i've never read anything about how kurt felt when he heard that john lennon got shot kurt was in his early 20s then so i suppose yeah, he must have been aware of it. and uh, But perhaps he was more into his punk rock phase than to really be concerned. But uh, I don't know. I've never um, read uh, about that. What I do know is that uh, when Kurt died, um, the Beatles uh, were played uh, on his funeral. Uh, we've listened to this uh, before, but uh, yeah, I want to share it again. Here's uh, Dave Grohl telling a bit about that when he was asked uh, for the, I think it was the BBC Radio, to share his uh, some of his favorite uh, Beatles uh, songs. This song comes from the Rubber Soul album released in 1965. It means a lot to me because it was the song that was played at Kurt Cobain's memorial. That day, 
after everyone had said their piece. This next song came over the speakers, and everyone got to celebrate Kurt's love of the Beatles one last time together. Um, still to this day, when I hear it, it touches a place in me that no other song ever will. Um, it's called In My Life, and knowing how much of a fan Kurt was of the Beatles and how much of an influence they were to everything that we've ever done, um, I'd like to play this one for him. This is In My Life from Robert. This song comes from the Rubber Soul album released in 1965. It means a lot to me because it was the song that was played at Kurt Cobain's memorial. That day, after everyone had said their piece, this next song came over the speakers and everyone got to celebrate Kurt's love of the Beatles one last time together. Um, still to this day, when I hear it, it touches a place in me that no other song ever will. Um, it's called In My Life. And knowing how much of a fan Kurt was of the Beatles and how much of an influence they were to everything that we've ever done, um, I'd like to play this one for him. This is In My Life from Rubber Soul. There are places I I think that song was picked by uh, Kurt's uh, manager, Danny Goldberg, uh, who was a bit older and who was more from the Beatles generation. And I think they asked him, well, well we have to play a Beatles song. Which one shall we pick? And uh, he, he suggested to play In My Life. And I think it's a, it's a perfect choice. Uh, and also, once again, it's a John Lennon song. So uh, just, uh, just so you know. So after Kurt passed away, of course... Uh, Dave and Chris uh, went on and um, kept their careers going, uh, each of, uh, of them, uh, yeah, in his own way. Dave did a lot of, uh, of Beatles-related stuff. Uh, for instance, on um, the Foo Fighters debut album, there's this song called Oh George. And George, the George in the title is, in fact, uh, George Harrison. And uh, Dave decided to call it that because he wanted the guitar solo to sound a bit like something that George Harrison uh, would, would play. So um, there's that. He also hired uh, Ringo Starr, the Beatles drummer, uh, as a photographer for their band. One time uh, he also did a uh, interview, a double interview with Ringo, uh, in which they talked about their lives as a drummer in a very, very successful band. And then 
uh, also, uh, yeah, losing their friend too early. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what was pretty pretty interesting. But also, uh, Dave became friends with well, pretty much half of the re- people in the record industry. <laughs> you can hardly think of a uh, famous musician that isn't uh, friends with Dave Grohl. But um, one of those is Paul McCartney, and that's of course pretty cool because they actually worked together on one of the Foo Fighters albums. Uh, Paul McCartney is a drummer on a song. I don't really know why, because, well, the Foo Fighters have two better drummers than Paul McCartney, but um, yeah, that's what they uh, what they wanted to do. And also, there was a very special thing that happened, and uh, here's uh, Paul McCartney uh, talking about that. So recently, some guys asked me to go and jam with them. So I showed up like you do, you know, ready to jam. And, um, and in the middle of it, these guys kept saying, you know, well, we haven't played together for, for years, you know. So, you know, I, the, the penny finally dropped. I finally understood that I was in the middle of a Nirvana reunion. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dave Grohl. Is it Chris Novoselic? And Mr. Pat Smear. Just like Dave Grohl, Paul McCartney really knows how to tell a story. Um, <laughs> it's not always very believable, but uh, yeah, he makes it sound pretty, uh, pretty cool. And and uh, well, actually, the story behind it is that Dave was working on the documentary about the Sound City Studios, the studio in which Nirvana uh, recorded uh, Nevermind, and a lot of famous people recorded very famous albums. Um, and then he like made a musical project to go along with it. So he had the soundtrack played by the Sound City players, uh, consisting of all diff- all sorts of people who worked at the studios. And that's sort of how um, the combination of uh, Paul McCartney and uh, Nirvana came to be, also known as Surfana, because, of course, it's Sir Paul McCartney. So uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty goofy uh, name, I, I guess. Uh, but they made this one original song, Cut Me Some Slack, well, you just heard uh, Paul McCartney introduce it, and here's the, how the studio version sounds. If you think, well, Paul McCartney, oh, this is really new for him to do sort of a heavy rock song. That's not exactly the case. I mean, we've listened to uh, Paul McCartney sing uh, Hey Jude at the very start of this episode, but uh, 
he also came up with a very famous song that was by some seen as like one of the very first hard rock songs called Helter Skelter. Um, so yeah, McCartney had a harder rocking side uh, to him as well. That was maybe before he worked together with Michael Jackson. Um, but uh, that's a different story. And I know that um, sometimes um, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain had a bit of an argument because um, Kurt was always talking down Paul McCartney because he was only doing like the the wimpy pop stuff. And yeah, he, he, he said that Paul McCartney was a bit of a bit of an embarrassment, something like that. But then Courtney's argument would also be, yeah, but McCartney also came up with Helter Skelter. And the cool thing is that Later, after they got to know each other, uh, McCartney um, performed Helter Skelter with Grohl, Novotelic, and Smear as his backup band. So uh, you could say it's Surfana covering the Beatles, something like that. Anyway, uh, it's a really cool song and it's really great to hear those guys uh, play together. Yeah, and this almost uh, brings us to an end of this uh, episode of the Nirvana podcast. Uh, but, of course, there's one more thing that we're going to have to listen to. And that's a recording that turned up a couple of years ago when the Montage of Hack documentary was released. Also a Kurt Cobain solo album. A couple of solo recordings uh, got released. And, um, yeah, one of those even made it... Uh, as a single so uh, if you go look for Kurt Cobain now on let's say Spotify and you can see that his most popular song is in fact a Beatles song and I love her which is a song that he uh, recorded I think for no other reason than just because he wanted to play it and maybe he wanted to give it to Courtney Love I don't know or somebody else who's, who's to say I don't think he wanted to cover it with Nirvana uh, so I think he just was uh, playing it uh, for himself and decided to record it on a tape and then yeah he, who would have thought that one day that got released as a single and be available to the whole world so uh, we got at least one song by the Beatles that's been covered by Kurt Cobain and please notice that even though uh, Kurt said that he hated McCartney and he wanted to strangle him with his with a string of his bass guitar and whatnot in the end he also sat down with his guitar and a tape recorder and played and i love her which is a song by paul mccartney Bright all those stars that shine dark is the sky
yeah so that's it uh, for this time uh yeah it was uh, like i said a really new experience for me just sitting here yeah basically <laughs> i feel like i'm just rambling and talking to myself so uh, i hope you guys uh, enjoyed my little uh, monologue about nirvana and the beatles but before i'm going to say goodbye i'd like to uh, say hi to anthony from texas who uh, wrote us a really nice email uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, saying that he's just a big fan from the podcast and made some cool suggestions so thanks a lot anthony and also uh, i want to give a shout out to matt from australia he has written in uh, before this time he let us know that he has created a playlist on spotify a pretty cool playlist it's called uh, nirvana does it it lists pretty much all the uh, songs that uh, nirvana has covered so it's definitely worth uh, checking out uh, one time. Uh, again, it's called Nirvana Does It. And his username is Circle A. And then Circle is spelled with an S. So uh, go go check it out. And also Matt asked us to uh, congratulate his best friend uh, for his birthday. Uh, his best friend Adam, a.k.a. Cyber Optic. So uh, his birthday is on uh, May the 14th. So uh, Adam, congratulations already with your uh, birthday. Matt said that these congratulations would be a really uh, cheap uh, birthday present for him to give. But don't let him get away with that. He still owes you a real, actual and very cool birthday present. Luckily for him, he still has a couple of weeks uh, to save up some money and, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and come up with something. Anyway, uh, that's it for this time. If you have a friend you want to send uh, birthday wishes through this podcast, you can send us an email uh, and you can send it to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. That's surewoodpodcast at gmail.com. I, I think I'm going to charge you for it from now on. So uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, you can also reach us by going to facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast. As always, I'd like to thank Nirvana Piano. Check out his channels on the internet for playing our theme music. And of course, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And I hope to talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.